Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. Um, So today's episode, (laughs) I'm really excited about it. If you haven't listened to last week's episode with Carsey Blanton, I would recommend listening to that first. I think the two back-to-back are really good um, pair, a pair. They're a good pair. Uh, I think that conversation leads well into this week's conversation. So if you haven't listened to that, it was last week's episode. Uh, I think it was called Sacred Sexuality, Creativity, and Revolution uh, with Carsey Blanton. I would do that. I spoke a little bit about this episode on last week's intro, um, because these conversations last week's, but this week's a little bit more so, uh, is super scandalous and taboo and, um, vulnerable and a tricky conversation to have. And in fact, these types of conversations around sexuality and gender are a big reason I decided to start this podcast. Um, I have long been fascinated by gender and sexuality, um, both in a personal and intellectual academic way. Um, I've, the vast majority of the books I've read have been about those topics. I studied both in school, um, and just in terms of my casual everyday conversations with people, I talk about these things a lot. And when the Me Too movement got started, it was, I think, around the time that I decided I had something to say and I felt really passionately about expressing my opinion and I didn't really hear my perspective coming from a woman expressed anywhere. And when I did, uh, that woman was demonized and attacked and vilified as I was when I brought these topics up. Um, but that frustrated me and I, and I guess I wasn't uh, intimidated by that. And I felt really strongly that I wanted to be a woman who expressed potentially unconventional and unconventional opinions about these issues. And so that was a major motivating factor in me starting this podcast in having the conversation that I had both last week with Carsey and uh, this week with Leanne. What I want to say about it, and I hate disclaiming anything because I feel that it takes away the value of whatever it is you're disclaiming, but I I do just want to say that like, just because this is the conversation that I am having, you know, 
there are so many conversations that are happening and I'm choosing to have the one that I don't feel is happening. That doesn't mean that, you know, on this episode, we talk a lot about power and like rape fantasies come up and it might seem as if we're talking about these things very lightly and disregarding the breadth of this issue. And I'm certainly not doing that. You know, I personally, I've definitely been sexually harassed and abused. I personally haven't been raped, but people very close to me and my family have been. Um, I don't take these issues uh, lightly at all. Um, However, I think that conversation about patriarchal abuse uh, has been had a lot, (laughs) uh, especially right now. So I don't want to I don't need, I don't feel the need to add to that. I feel the need to express something else. Um, and the type of person that I am is someone, as I've said so frequently on the podcast, I'm so into nuance and paradox. And so even, you know, I don't necessarily think that I play devil's advocate, but I'm very into seeing how two opposing concepts can coexist. Um, and so is it possible that we can have a conversation about, toxic masculinity while also recognizing masculinity's inherent value, right? Can we talk about the fact that rape is horrific, but that many women have sexual rape fantasies, right? We, I, and I believe the answer is yes, of course we can. I think, um, both of these things coexist all the time. I think everything is a paradox, at least anything of value. Um, But there's a lot of uh, vitriol and uh, fear around having conversations that we feel add to the problem. And and that's a lot of the time the response that I get from people of like how dangerous it is to say these things because they can be taken in the wrong way. And, And I guess my response to that is I think we need to be as best we can mature enough adults to recognize that that's not necessarily the case. That's only the case if we allow it to be. Um, and I think it's through having these discussions of nuance through saying things that are unconventional, um, expressing the unpopular viewpoint. I think it's through exploring those scary places that we actually create change. Um, and so that's what I hope this podcast is in general, but especially around, um, these topics. Uh, and I, I'm very grateful. And I think part of the reason why conversations like this one in particular get so kind of like intense and passionate is because I think it's really hard, especially as a woman to have these conversations, especially in this day and age. Um, and I think when you put people like me and Leanne together, who share a lot of the same views, and I think who are often in spaces where our opinions or thoughts are not, um, shared that when we find each other, (laughs) that it's, it's a huge relief, right? It's a huge relief to recognize that like, I'm not alone in these thoughts that I'm having and I'm not crazy for having these thoughts. And again, another reason for this podcast in general is I knew there were women out there who agreed with me because, I actually mentioned on the show, like before I had a podcast, I was, I had so much to say and so many opinions that I was like going on Facebook and writing these long rants, which was, I recognized was completely like worthless and impractical. Like, come on, we don't need to be having arguments on the internet, but I would go on and I would sort of write these long posts about what I felt about, you know, me too and power and gender and sex and I would get very few people responding or posting or commenting on the post itself, but would then message me privately, women in particular, being like, 
wow, I'm really grateful that you said all this stuff. I totally agree. And I really um, admire your bravery in expressing it. And I don't feel that I have that same amount of courage to do so because of the reaction that I normally get. So for whatever reason, um, maybe I just like abusing myself, but I didn't and don't um, allow people's opinions of me to stop me from expressing this stuff. And uh, so because that's the type of person I am, I figured uh, to some degree or extent, I felt like I had a responsibility to talk about this stuff publicly through the podcast and that hopefully other women would um, be somewhat uh, comforted by the fact that they weren't alone in their beliefs. Um, if you don't agree with me or Leanne about these topics, uh, that's totally fine and legitimate. And um, I think depending on the conversation, even I might disagree with myself in certain spaces. Like these are ever evolving conversations. Um, you know, I, I had a I'm just remembering now I had this really interesting conversation with my dad a while ago, um, about, you know, when you talk about things that involve social and cultural construction, which is everything. So the ways that we view and act around sexuality, relationships, gender, let's just use those as examples. These things are constructed, right? By people, by culture, by tradition over time, that means that to some degree they're malleable and, and constantly shifting and moving and depending on where you are and who you're talking to and what stage in your life or just what stage in culture, these things are evolving as they go. So by having these conversations, we actually not only have to question our own identity, right? Which is to say like, these things aren't necessarily innate or inherent. They're being created somewhat superficially by culture and society. And so that in and of itself is threatening because we want to feel confident and secure and unquestioning of our identity. So we have to take the first step, which is like everything I believe is fake, or at least like what I thought was real might not be real. But then we also have to embrace the fact that it's shifting over time. So there is like almost no solid ground <clears throat> to stand on. And that's, it, you know, for certain people at certain times can be extremely disconcerting because, you know, we value definitions and labels and boxes so much to define us so that we don't really have to think much about it. Um, and when you walk into these spaces where you have to not only question your identity, but then question the nature of its inherent fluidity is kind of a crazy place to be. I find it to be super enjoyable. I'm actually more comforted by embracing those things than I am not. Um, again, because I think I just love these spaces of nuance and paradox. Um, so anything that's right or wrong or should or should not actually makes me severely uncomfortable. Um, but anyway, I think that's what these conversations are to me, are asking and proposing ideas and thoughts and beliefs and experiences that are constantly shifting and moving. Um, so uh, maybe that sounds super vague, but maybe you'll understand what you what I mean when you listen to this episode. Um, 
On that note, I was posting excessively about this book on um, Instagram. I get into these very like obsessive modes with reading where sometimes I'll go long stretches of time with like not reading very much and reading super slowly. And then I get really focused and uh, read like three books in the course of five days, which I did recently. Um, But I wanted to mention this one that I read because I thought it was amazing. It was called... um, The First Stone by Helen Garner. Um, I had not previously been familiar with her work. Apparently she's written a bunch of fiction and this was like one, if not the only work of nonfiction that she wrote. Um, And it followed a case, I believe it was in the early 90s in Australia, where two women accused the headmaster at their university of sexual harassment, I believe. And she follows this whole story about what these women did and they report how they reported it to the police and the outcome and the denial and power. And the whole thing is basically her thinking out loud in relation to sex and gender and power. I believe the subtitle is some questions on sex and power, some questions of sex and power. Um, and, uh, you know, her opinions were very much in line with my own, um, and very much in line with, I think some of what I talk about in, uh, both last week's episode and this, this week's episode. Um, so if you're interested, if you listen to this and you agree, or you think it's cool, I, I highly recommend checking out that book. Um, it was Helen Garner's quite a bit older than me. I believe she's in her seventies. Um, and uh, was kind of writing about these issues from the perspective of being someone who was like very much involved in feminism as a young woman and growing older and not totally relating to the feminism of the current day and, um, you know, questioning whether or not she was, you know, had a right to her opinions or whether, you know, she was actually anti-woman and not the feminist she thought she was. Uh, you know, it's funny reading these books because like she even writes in the afterword, like this book was like so taboo and people really had a problem with it. And of course I read it and I'm just like so excited because I so rarely read good writing that, you know, expresses similar beliefs to mine. Um, but apparently it was like super scandalous when she wrote it. And, uh, but I actually, I thought it was really humble and, um, that, you know, she did such a fair amount of questioning herself and just her willingness to discuss these things. Like a big part of the book was that these women who had accused this guy of sexually harassing them refused to be interviewed by her. Um, and I think that was very much, uh, symbolic of the problem that I think we're going through right now is there's this idea of like, okay, well, because white men, uh, or just like white people, men, uh, et cetera, have held power for so long that they don't have a right to participate in these discussions. Um, and I'm not even going to consider bringing their opinions or their experience into this space because, uh, it's not valuable. And that's something that I really disagree with. I understand the intention behind that, but I actually think it's a really cowardly position to take. I think if we don't enter into places of discomfort with 
people who we oppose or people who hold opposing opinions, um, if we're not allowing ourselves to engage in tricky dialogue, then I don't think we're going to get anywhere. Um, so all that to say, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, Leanne and I are definitely trouble together. We both talk a lot and are really passionate. And, um, as you'll see really similar in our views and beliefs. Um, I know these topics aren't easy to deal with and I know they're nuanced and I'm, I'm planning on having a lot of other conversations in the future that I actually think touch upon some of the, um, opposing viewpoints of what we discussed too. So, uh, I encourage every, you all to have an open mind, um, and to really think critically about things we tend to take for granted. Um, I think that's all I have to say. As a reminder, um, this podcast is ad-free, so the only way that I am able to support myself doing it is through your donations. Um, if you head on over to patreon.com slash AnyaKates, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S, you can donate just a little bit of money each month, um, and depending on what tier you donate in, you can get access to all sorts of excess bonus material, uh, bonus episodes. I release a weekly column of inspiration. You can get access to some t-shirts, um, lots of cool stuff. I do monthly worksheets on like various psychological or astrological topics. Um, so lots of cool stuff on there. I hate asking people for money. It feels super awkward. Uh, it's kind of why I don't do advertisements like selling things and sponsored things or it's just weird. It's an awkward space. Um, but the fact of the matter is that this podcast is free and, uh, I know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you listen to this episode, these episodes every week, which I appreciate as it is, right? Like just the fact that you guys are listening is such an amazing support within, uh, within itself. However, if you do have a few extra bucks a month to spare, um, I would really appreciate the support as I've spoken about in the past. I would really like to do more interviews in, uh, in person and meet people in person. And that requires a lot of travel and time dedication to that. Uh, and also bringing you guys more like behind the scenes footage. So if I go and like visit like an intentional community, for example, I can you know, actually show you guys what's going on there as opposed to just interviewing someone over a computer and not having as immersive an experience. Um, but again, you know, time and money, uh, and I have to support myself and keep the lights on. So I really do value and rely upon your support, um, both, uh, tangibly and intangibly, I guess, through money and just through you listening and sharing it with friends. If you truly don't have the money to donate, another really amazing way to support the show is if you just go onto, um, iTunes, if that's where you listen to the podcast and leave some stars, uh, and a review, and that helps the podcast show up more in search results. Um, and so people can find it more easily. You can also always share it with friends. Um, if you hear an episode that you like and think someone would enjoy it, uh, tell somebody that's always super helpful. Um, and all that to say, you know, I have seen week after week, the listenership of this show grow. And sometimes I just sit there and stare at the little graph that shows how it's increased. Not because I'm trying to just feel good about myself, but because it makes me so happy that even indirectly that I'm able to connect with and, 
uh, dialogue, even though I'm not really dialoguing with you guys, it sometimes feels like I am <laughs> in a one way direction. Um, but just like connect with people all around. And, uh, you know, when I was going through really hard times in my life and feeling super alone, like all I wanted was to find voices that sounded like mine. Um, and so I assume at least for the vast majority of you that are listening to this week after week, that, um, you are grateful to have someone even across the country or across the world that mirrors some of your thoughts and beliefs. Um, and that means the world to me, you know, if, if that's what's happening, then the entire, you know, goal of this podcast has been fulfilled. So on that note, uh, here is the episode with Leanne. Um, hope you enjoy it. I'll see you on the other side. Okay. Round two. <laughs> Round two. <laughs> this is another, I'm sitting here with Leanne Orsi, you said, right? Yes. This is another Chris Ryan hand-me-down. Although that sounds like you're like used in some way. But... <laughs> hmm. Maybe I am. <laughs> in, a, in the best way possible. Um, yeah. So uh, Chris was going to interview and suggested, interview you and suggested you might work on my show as well. And definitely listening after listening to your conversation with him. It's like could not keep my mouth shut and wanted to like scream from the other side of the room. Oh, amazing. So, <laughs> so, so he was right. He was right. He was definitely right. Um, so I would love for you to like describe who you are. Like, how do you define yourself? Oh man, that is actually a really great question because I am someone who's had so many lives, um, at so far and, um, and I'm really changing the conversation about how I define myself like, as we speak. Like I've been through, I'm going through a major transformation in the last like three months. Um, but I am a, I'm an adventurer for sure. I uh, have lived a very outrageous life. Um, I've never had like a dull chapter. You know, I started as we were talking about on Chris's podcast, I start, I was a child actor I started working at 18 months old. I've always worked in, you know, entertainment or sales, you know, growing up doing commercials for other people, like, you know, learning to sell their stuff um, has kind of been embedded in me. And um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I live outside of the box of, you know, what people would consider normal. I've never had a real job, <laughs> you know. Um, and I'm an entrepreneur because I consider myself unemployable. <laughs> you know, I do things when I want, how I want on my own time. I like to be a leader. But um, for the last 12 years, I've been, uh, I've been working in movement, pole dancing specifically, but really, like, the end result has been, you know, transforming women's lives, taking them from, you know, being unfamiliar with their bodies and un maybe comfortable with themselves and showing them their strength, their power, their ability to overcome pain and their beauty, like kind of bringing it to the surface and watching how those experiences change their life. And that's been extremely rewarding practice. And um, as I said on uh, Chris's podcast before, I am, you know, I was an exotic dancer before I uh, opened my pole dance studio, but many years before there was a gap in between where I didn't do it at all. And, um, I took something that people considered shameful and people considered it to be something that I shouldn't 
tell people and I turned it into one of my my greatest success and something that I have a huge amount of respect for and following and um and and it's turned into something that you know me as a dancer was very positive for me I really loved the lifestyle I loved the experience but I turned it into something that was positive for a lot of other people and you know I've I've had the joke the tagline of like making the world sexier one woman at a time but it's it's not really making the world sexier it's making the world more confident one woman at a time and being confident in your sensuality and your sexuality like gives women a lot of courage you know and um, that's another thing I like to say is like all you need is the courage to walk in the door and like we'll do the rest you know take you through this process and it's going to change your life like I haven't I, I've, there have been so many amazing stories of women. Like if you'd seen them on the first day and you see them now, you would just never know that that was the same girl. Like, you know, chubby, chubby girl with like purple hair and a pixie cut who is now like a Maryland bombshell blonde that, you know, travels the world teaching, um, you know, teaching other women how to harness their sensual energy and, and, you know, release it on the world. And, um, it's amazing. Like a part of the reason I do it is, is, is to watch these flowers bloom, you know, and, and, and I love that. And I love inspiring people. And now, you know, I'm not even really like so connected to the teaching of the sport anymore. And now I'm, you know, I'm out in the world. I'm travel like about 40 to 50%, 40 to 60%. Maybe this year I'm going to be gone more. Um, of the time I'm out on adventures, learning new things, doing new things and inspiring people that way, like to take risks, to like uh, be a revolutionary, to be a trailblazer and, um, you know, kind of sharing the lessons that I learn on the road and the inspiration that I get there. Like I just came back from uh, a couple weeks in Asia and, you know, I left because like when I'm here in LA, I'm so consumed with money and success and inevitably my own shortcomings and like on the road I am like open and grateful and inspired and you know I just had to get out of here and be that way and instead of the other way so I don't know I'm I'm an interesting case I've lived a lot of lives and I definitely say yes to lots of opportunities that come my way and uh, I'm not stopping anytime soon. Yeah. It's funny. I also have had many lives, especially as far as career goes. And the, I always would think about that that was one area of my life that was always really successful. And I think it was because I never got into anything thinking that was the thing I had to do for the rest of my life. It was like, oh, this is just a step in the right direction. And I have no idea how this is going to play into what I end up doing. Do you see that now? Also like looking back and being like, Oh my God, all of these things were threads into (laughs) a hundred percent. And you know, I, I knew a few years ago, like, you know, that, that this, uh, pole dancing business, which has, you know, it's grown me up. Like it took me from a kid to an adult, you know, I opened my studio at 25 years old and in the worst economy, you know, that, a generation is any generation is seen in a while, and I managed to survive, you know, the recession um, and 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 thrive. And now I'm finally reaping the rewards of of a really really long, um, hard building period. But um, it kind of grew me up, and now it's a stepping stone to this next phase of of you know really working in female empowerment. And um, you know, I I spent this last few months like trying to explain to people that pole dancing is female empowerment and then I had this wild idea 
of, you know, what if I just take the pull out of it? And what if I just do the things that I know help women grow, like what I've seen that's really been the change, you know, and how can I take the pull out of it and boil it down and like offer this product of growth, of empowerment, of, you know, you know, falling in love with your body and, you know, facing your fears and overcoming pain. And, you know, also one of the huge uh, elements is community, like offering people a community of other supportive women um, that really bolsters. I mean, women are relational, right? So we need, we need this community. We need this circle to relate to and to support us in order for us to feel strong. So how do I take those elements that I think have really allowed women to grow and how can I offer it in a different way and take out this push point because, you know, there's a lot of judgment around pole dancing. There's a lot of connotations, um, that it's exploitive, that it's sleazy in some way, that it is inherently sexual or, you know, sexual, not even in a positive way. It's inherently negatively sexual. And how can I remove that as a barrier to entry and offer this learning and this opportunities to women everywhere, more women, you know, maybe ones that don't have the physical capabilities um, to do pole dancing, which is really hard. And how can I, um, you know, offer these same lessons in another way? So that's my new, my new, um, my new path. And I always knew that I was living this crazy life. Like I've just had no periods of normalcy in my life. <laughs> like I'm living this crazy life for a reason. And I've known that like to tell my stories is like a huge calling of mine. And um, now I'm really like, I see it, you know, like I'm, I'm working on a book, um, that's going to be about this lessons in female empowerment and how can you take them and wield them in your own life. And then working, I have another one planned to domino on, on that. And then once I've started some interesting conversations in the world, I'll be excited to tell my life story because it's very unique. And hopefully a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a podcast <laughs> because I'm a talker. It yeah. actually like the writing a book is, is, is a medium that I'm less experienced in, although I'm an avid reader, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really watch TV, but I just consume literature and mostly, um, stories. I love stories, but, uh, but talking is my medium and I can talk forever to anyone and I can fill dead air time. So I figure it's a good, it's a good way to go. Yeah. There are so many parts to this that I'm going to try and do my best to ask you in a way that makes sense. Um, but you said something on Chris's podcast about when you decided to become a stripper and at first you were like, no, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, but then you walked away with all this money and had this thought of like, wow, uh, I probably would have just done all of that for the attention but like they're also giving me money and isn't that cool? Um, and and relating this whole thing to the concept behind the pole um, and what it symbolizes as it relates to sex and gender and empowerment. Um, and I'm fascinated by just masculine and feminine in general and their relationship to each other, both like internally and in the world at large. And like for an example, like someone asked me recently, like, do you think it's weird that a guy would like pay you money to basically watch you clip your toenails. And like on the one end, I mean, maybe the toenail example is a little strange (laughs) and like conceptually maybe as it relates to the dynamic that that creates, but there's also an element of it that doesn't feel weird at all. And, and actually not remotely 
degrading? It's an interesting question, right? Because people think that it is. However, money is a tool to express value, right? So like if someone's giving you money for something, it means it's valuable. So how is that inherently degrading? Right, and that value has power, right? You are holding on to... But some people think money is inherently degrading and itself kind of dirty in a way, you know what I'm saying? So um, it's a really interesting question, especially when it comes to sex, Mm -hmm. because, you know, so you can have sex with people for free, assholes, sleazy, free sex, and that somehow, you know, more noble than letting someone that you really like pay you when you have sex. Or Mm -hmm. what about relationships where all of a sudden the woman is dependent on the man and he's giving her the money because she's having sex with him, but somehow that's okay, but an actual uh, exchange where someone gives you money after sex, like that somehow like makes it dirty. It's a really interesting question. Yeah. And, and because I also think that, you know, where in the world I feel like we're kind of fucking up right now as it relates to gender is like we need women to become more masculine and and men to become more feminine right and I sort of see this inherent value in both masculinity and femininity and their connection to one another and you mean maintaining both and also yeah yeah Ooh, interesting. <laughs> I love this because yeah. I have a very masculine side and a very feminine totally, side and yeah. they both live You know, and they live for me very clearly in the two sports that I love and that I practice in Muay Thai, martial arts. And I just got back from Thailand where I was in the ring sparring and fighting and kicking things and hitting things and getting punched in the face. And I love that. It's like an amazing feeling. And um, and then I also like to dance and stretch and express my wear heels in a bikini and writhe. And I love to live in both of those. And I don't want to bring either one to the center. I love being on the edges. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like your experience in masculine things like martial arts or even just like expression or drive entrepreneurship allows you to be feminine in a way that com- does not feel degrading? It feels the opposite of that. Interesting. Maybe my confidence in those areas and yeah. my um, ability to operate in that world in the masculine world lets me be feminine in a different way? I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to think about that a little bit. (laughs) Um, I think it gives me power. Right. Right. And um, I think that femininity in general sometimes is associated with a surrender of power. Mm -hmm. Um. But I actually love to surrender my power too. And that is in my empowering, feminine. right? I yeah. mean, I think, yeah, it's like the topping from the bottom thing, right? Right. <laughs> right. To relinquish control. In fact, I want a very, like, I want a very dominant man. Yeah. I want a man who's going to be the man because I'm the man all the time. Right. And like in the bedroom or in, you know, in public, I want a man that can be a man that can take the leading role and that I don't emasculate or obscure. Right. You know, so I want both. Right. Yeah, I always talk about how, like, I would come into relationships being like, I'm really powerful. I'm on this level right here. I'm not, I'm not looking to be disempowered. I'm not looking to come down from that level. I need you to one up it. <laughs> like, yes. And be strong enough to do that and hold space for my own power. But yet, I'm comfortable with you being 
more, more powerful than more me. powerful. Yeah, right. I love that. Yeah. And in fact, I'm in this interesting phase in my life where I'm like, you know what? I'm so sick of like dumbing myself down in order for the world to accept me or men or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not going to do it anymore. And I'm just going to be all that I am, as sexual as I am, as outspoken as I am, as, you know, physically. Like, you know, a lot of times... I sometimes, if I'm going out, like, I won't want to dress as, you know, not necessarily sexually, but as, like, beautifully as I could, makeup, jewelry, an outfit where I just look amazing. Like, I'll be like, this is too much, and the world is repelled when I look that way, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be a bit more approachable, Um, and I've just decided I'm not doing that anymore. I am just going to be as fabulous as I can be. And if you can approach me, more power to you. Right. But, you know, it's a bit of a lonely place. Mm-hmm. You do end up isolating yourself um, in those moments of power. And I'm, like, looking for a man who can, yeah, one-up me in there. And and it it's an exciting search. And it's exciting not to um, compromise. I'm not into compromise in general. Well, yeah, it doesn't really work. It doesn't work. I'm into synergy. Like, let's yeah. have the energy and the energy make more as opposed to, like, one person having to give and the other person having to right. give to, like, have a lower area of agreement. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm not into that. Let's talk about what you were dealing with with the Facebook yes. situation. Yeah. Um, so I have a show that is sensual. Um but it's very, very tasteful. It is, uh, it's an acrobatic dance show um, that it has like kind of like the production quality of Cirque du Soleil and like a Broadway show. Um, it, but it has the athleticism of acrobats and the sex appeal of like the Victoria's Secret fashion show. So we've got beautiful women, beautiful, strong, hard bodies, um, flexibility, acrobatics, sensual dancing. And I wasn't able to advertise the show on Facebook this year, um, like almost at all, because it kept getting rejected. And I kept taking screenshots of these ridiculous rejections. Like, you know, your content has been, you know, disapproved because it it contains sexually... Um, explicit content, including organs, uh, you know, including diagrams of sexual organs (laughs) or of exterior or exposed sexual organs. I was like, what? Like, and we got in the, the whole thing was the same video would, we would resubmit it. The same video would get rejected every time for a different reason. Either it was showing too much skin or it was, you know, sexually explicit content or, you know, seductive movement, whatever. There were a million different reasons. And what's crazy is I would see, we would take screenshots of other ads. Like, for example, there was an ad for Rihanna's lingerie company where you could literally see nipple. Like, through, like, a mesh bra, you could see nipple, and it was a bikini, and you can advertise that. And, you know, Rip Curl can advertise Alana Blanchard on a surfboard. And, um, you know, a friend of mine who owns a fitness studio in Hollywood, um, said, well, you know, Hey, when I do girls in a sports bra, a lot of times it gets declined. And I said, okay, well, what about if you do a shirtless man? And she's like, I don't know. Let's see. She put an ad on for shirtless man and she sent it approved. A shirtless man is okay. Man nipples is okay. 
Whereas I have a show where there is no nudity, there is no stripping, um, and we couldn't advertise. Like, this is absolutely, like, yeah, it's sexy, but we even allow underage people to come to the show because they're, you know, 17, 16, 17-year-old pole dancers who want to come watch their teacher perform, and as long as they, you know, come with the parent, like, we're okay with it. Um, it's not an adult show. It's not adult entertainment. And we were being prevented from advertising for a million different reasons, for skin exposure, for sensual expression, for, um, you know, a bunch of different reasons. It was extremely frustrating. I felt like I was just running headfirst into brick walls over and over and trying to explain to them that, like, not only is this not adult entertainment, um, we are also advertising in the exact same manner as many of your other advertisers and we're being discriminated against and specifically because we are women and specifically because we are showing our bodies, which it's just a body, you know, like why is that wrong? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I feel like if we were to like sit down with someone who was actually rejecting it, that some, somewhere in the reasoning would be something about the, you know, degradation of women, but yet, it seems the opposite of that. It actually yeah, it's seems a celebration. like it's the empowerment, it's the celebration, it's that feminine power that yes. is being. Yeah, weird. and we are expressing the feminine power, and it's just so interesting how that is being stifled. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is, and, and not only is it being stifled in the way that, like, I'm a female business owner, I am, you know, I'm not a huge company, I don't have a huge budget, this is a self finance show. Um, I am being stifled from being successful, you know, as a female entrepreneur. I am also being stifled from, you know, offering more work and more business because if we could make, if we could advertise and anytime we advertise, the world comes to watch because it's so beautiful and something people want to see. I could be giving more work to my female employees. I'm an all female business with all female employees, you know, and because we can't show our bodies, which is our product, you know, we are being stifled from earning money and being rewarded for all of our hard work, but we're also being stifled from exposing it to other women who need the message and who want to come um, see and hear and possibly experience their own transformation. So it's like a stifling of the movement as much as it is of business and a disenfranchising of women and our ability to, like, use our most powerful tool. Yeah. How would you define for yourself or how do you define for yourself female empowerment? You know, it's a really good question that I'm answering over and over and every day the answer changes, but um, I think it's the ability for us to never be stuck in a situation where we feel trapped, you know, by a job, by ideology, by a man, you know, in a relationship or in even a family structure that doesn't respect um, our position as women. I also think it's ability to live in a new reality, new dreams, new possibilities. I mean, we are the first generation, you and I are the first generation of women who can live openly in society single and not be considered a weird old cat lady. You know, like this is like a normal thing to choose to be single and not be married or be with a man. We can earn our own money, support ourselves, have a family, you know, on our own without having to have a man to support, shield, uh, pay for a family. So 
we have a whole new set of possibilities that, um, you know, that, that we weren't taught as children. Like, you know, growing up, like, you know, I was taught that I was going to have my own career and my own money, but I was still taught that I was going to get married and have a family and, you know, have that traditional family structure. And so I think it's like, you know, female empowerment is creating new narratives where, you know, a lot of different things are possible. And, you know, where someone like me that can travel the world the last three years traveling the world alone, you know, people still think that's crazy. But I go all over the world. I've been to 40 countries and I travel alone. You know, I show up in places I've never been. I meet strangers. I stay in hotels. I use Google Maps. I use, you know, public transportation. And and I want to be a role model that shows women different life path. And I want to be someone that's teaches women and tells new stories um, that all of these things are possible. So I think it's about possibility. It's about movement. And it's about embracing this new lifestyle and not being um, subject to the old narrative or, you know, being in, in a compromising situation, a lot of times a relationship, you know, abusive relationships, whether it be your family, whether it be a partner, you know, I left, I was married for, uh, I was in a 15 year relationship and married for seven years. Um, and, and I left because that marriage wasn't supporting my dreams, my possibilities, and it wasn't allowing me to grow and to reach to my maximum potential. And I think a lot of women over history and, you know, have been stuck and, and marginalized because they were supposed to be behind the man and or be subject to like what the man wanted or how the man wanted them to behave or how they wanted to be seen in the world by whatever made a man comfortable. And I want to be a new role model that tells women, you know, you get to be what makes you comfortable. And this is a whole new conversation that like hasn't happened before. And so I think that I'm defining what female empowerment is every day. And, you know, I'm going to the Middle East to teach my first female empowerment workshop. And I think that after I experience what life is like for those women, I'm going to have an even a more diverse, um, you know, answer to that question. Yeah. Do you feel like, how does this relate to, I always struggle when with ever identifying as a feminist, which is silly maybe, but I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like, Oh, I'm a feminist, but, but, but I teach sexy dancing to women. Right. It's like, I'm a sexy feminist. Or like I'm a feminist, but I really love and appreciate men and masculinity. Oh yes. And I am totally like in, you know, I'm a sexy dancer. I'm submissive I'm some of these other things but that doesn't mean that I'm not empowered like it's like my choice to surrender my power you know yeah um I love men and I love female uh the female wiles you know the feminine energy I don't think I think that there was an old movement of feminism that was like strip away the feminine side of you and become more masculine Mm -hmm. as a woman and I think that my definition of feminism is more of like yours it's like own the the edges of masculinity and the edges of femininity and you know be sexy attract an amazing man and stand in your power with him I don't know yeah no I feel the same way yeah and, and I think it just goes back to this whole value in 
masculine, feminine, like that. Honor both. Right. Yeah. What do you think about this? Do you feel that I feel there is, but I want to know if you feel there's a power shift going on in the world today of, you know, women taking on more masculinity and therefore men having to take on more femininity because nothing is destroyed or created, right? It's only a shift of power. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I talk about this all the time. Um, I, I actually went, I've always been and felt very confident and embodied in my masculinity. I, I even feel like in my voice, I like sounded like I had a deep voice. Like I, I was relatively athletic. I was always took on leadership positions. I always related to men and felt that I, like I talked about sex like a guy and I couldn't find women who I could talk about sex. We have a lot in common. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And my dad's gay. So I think that was also a a part of this for me that I had a very unique uh, representation of masculinity and even fatherhood that I think a lot of other people didn't have. So Mm -hmm. it it led me into a place where I um, felt really comfortable in that space. Um, So, and I realized recently though, like I took a lot of pride in that, my masculinity. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that was all good. Although I had this realization, I was, when this happened, but I was away. Oh, I was in, I was in Bali and I was with people all the time and surrounded by people and community and people that I loved. And I went home to my apartment and I was in like nonstop relationships my whole life pretty much like Mm -hmm. starting when I was 16 and I had this complex like you got to do it on your own and like self-reliance and like live on your own and have your own space and And I came home from this trip and I walked into my apartment and I was alone because I live alone and I was just like this is shitty like I don't this doesn't feel great like I wish I could walk 20 feet and go spend time with someone. I wish someone could like welcome me home and cook me dinner. And I realized, I started to realize that a lot of what I punished myself for were feminine qualities. Like my desire to be nurtured and to nurture, my desire to hold space within community. And I had this epiphany of like, wow, to me, I feel like so much of this like patriarchal problem that we have is that women are being or at least I felt expected to be a man in ways that didn't feel right you mean now yeah Mm. and that what I really felt like I needed to work on was my femininity and to feel okay and and that's why I asked you that question at the beginning like do you think your exploration of masculinity allowed you to hold space in your own feminine in a way that like wasn't degrading or um, like dismissive in some way, because I think there's a risk that if we are just feminine, right, we don't take ownership of our own masculinity that we're at risk for a great deal of like codependency and giving up ourselves for someone else. And so I sort of see this like journey that I've taken of like, oh, it was good that I was able to like hold space in that masculine power so that I can like be submissive and that that won't be negative. Um, yeah. So interesting. I, I do also feel, um, weakness mm -hmm. sometimes in the feminine qualities and the feminine needs and these like relational needs or physical needs. Like I'm a very, um, 
touchy person. Mm -hmm. And I also live alone. And um, one of the reasons I travel so much is because I feel very isolated in L.A. I feel like, you know, you have to get into your glass box and drive 40 minutes to, like, do something cool or see someone. And when I travel, when I'm on the road, you just walk out your door and you're, like, in the middle of the coolest place and you're connected with people. And um, I sometimes feel weakness in my, like, need to be touched and my desire for touch. And, you know, I think, how, why can't I give this to myself? You know, but like women are relational and we want to be connected to other humans, you know, whether it be children or lovers or family. But like, I, you know, I do sometimes feel weakness in my feminine needs. Like you said, like, you know, being lonely or being, um, yeah, wanting nurturing and, and yeah, I struggle with that, um, with like being like, it's okay to want this, but it's also like, oh, but it's hard to depend on somebody else. Yeah. Well, and it's inherently paradoxical, which I, and I talk about like just paradox because I'm fucking obsessed with, like, I feel like if something is black and white in my head, I haven't deconstructed it enough because I have to get to the point where it becomes a paradox or else (laughs) it's not real (laughs) and I don't understand it. Um, but I think, you know, in this world, in this in this sort of abuse of patriarchal power, I think to want those things seems as if it is proliferating the problem. Like, but I want to be gentle. I want to be feminine. I want to be held. I want to be taken care of or protected, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's another thing for me, too, that I actually feel more confident sometimes expressing my sexuality, my femininity, when I feel that there's some degree of like masculine protection and that's like people look at me like I'm some sort of like anti-feminist like victim blaming like yeah you know what I mean you know it's really interesting because I have that duality as well like you know with this whole me too thing like I think it's kind of sad that like, you know, a guy can't just like smack you on the ass sometimes, (laughs) you know, like it's it's kind of going to be a lost art, you know, like it's going to be sad, but you know, of course I don't want people to be abused and I want there to be permission and all this stuff. But I think that there's something sexy about a man just like taking what he wants and being kind of whisked away in that. Cause maybe you didn't think that they wanted it. And then all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, I actually really enjoy this. So I'm in that same vote with you too that I think that there should be some balance and um and that it's not doesn't have to be disempowering right no. like and I think that's where we need to be more nuanced about it that like women you know I say this all the time and people get so mad at me that because I I look back and I see the degree to which I have participated in a lot of the things that people are pointing their fingers and blaming men for right like you know not that I've done this, but like, I think a lot of women are like, yeah, I'm going to like give this dude a blowjob to get ahead. And there's this like <laughs> concept of like, well, this was the system that was presented to me. So therefore I'm going to take advantage of it. And honestly, fine, but at least admit you're participating. Right. Right. Well, right. There's that whole thing too. Is that like, you know, everyone's talking about the men who did this, the men who did this. And then you look at like the women, you're like, okay, so who took advantage and rose right. to the top, right. you know, and are they complicit or are they victims or they're both like, there's the paradox, right? They're not, they're not one or the other, mm-hmm. you know, I think that they're, everyone is, you know, there's a bit, there's duality in everything. And I love duality. It's yeah. like one of my favorite things yeah. as well. 
Yeah. We have a lot in common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is why I was like sitting in the corner, You're, like holding my You know, <laughs> it's so funny because you say like, oh, I'm I I'm like, I have a lot to say and I'm like this very powerful. But like I experienced you totally differently because you were just sitting over there in the corner like <laughs> with this yeah. funny look on your face and your lips sealed together. And I was kind of and then now to hear you talk, I'm like, oh, so you were just like welling up inside trying to Pretty keep much. the geyser like from like Pretty out. much, pretty much, yeah. Just why I have a podcast. I actually, it was funny. I would talk about the Me Too movement when that all got started. I would sit there and write these like long ass Facebook rants about like how frustrated I was by the dynamic that was being created. Well, yeah, this dynamic that like now men are like men are like, dude, I don't know what to do. I'm like, do you, can you do you need to sign like a like a, a disclosure agreement before anything happens? And like for me, that you know, or or like in a permission, like okay, like you know, scratches, bruises are okay. You know, like what is allowed, what is not allowed, like. Yeah. And I just think, man, that like ruins some of the magic because like sometimes you don't know what you want. You know, until all of a sudden you're like, whoa, in the moment. And I don't want to lose that. You know, I don't want to lose that dynamic of. So this brings me to another concept. And maybe this is so inappropriate to bring up right now. Nothing is. (laughs) So I have a theory, right, of like, why why do women, and not all women, but why do some women like rough sex? Okay? Mm -hmm. Like a little bit of violence, right? Why is this a turn on? And, you know, some men are very uncomfortable with this because they're kind of like, oh, but I'm supposed to protect you and love you and, like, be kind to you. Like, I don't want to, like, pull your hair and smack you around in bed. But, like, this turns girls on. And I know a lot of sometimes girls are like, more, you know, and the guy's kind of like, ah, you know, doesn't know what to do. But think about for many, many uh, years, generations, I mean, women, we were traded as a commodity and having sex mostly against our will, you know, sold to a man in marriage, um, you know, cattle in war, you know, if you're, if your village lost a war, like you would be raped by whoever was invading the village and so that they could impregnate and then now have, you know, their culture and bred into this culture. So yeah. there's like a lot of history of women um, having forced sex forced upon them and not necessarily now we're in this whole like of, Oh, we love and we choose and everything's by permission. And we're no longer having that. But I think built into our DNA is this knee is this, you know, history of forced sex of violence and of, of rape. And why do women have these like rape fantasies and then feel super guilty and weird about it. But I think it's like in our blood, it's been, it's been going on for thousands of years that, um, you know, we haven't had, you know, sex only upon permission, right? And I think that there's something carnal and like sexy about a man overpowering a woman. And um, I enjoy that. And I think that it's really like built in over many, many generations. And now that that is completely gone, I mean, yes, I, again, I, I'm not advocating, you know, anything like that, but I think that it's a really, it's a really interesting question of like, how can we maintain some of that primal carnal energy, like in our mating and in our love lives, um, but still respect women and their right to choose and, and, and their right to be safe. And it's a totally crazy paradox. Yeah. I was with some friends this past weekend, we were in the car and one of them was talking about, he had this friend who was very masculine, like very, 
uh, yeah, very With this whole toxic masculinity thing. Well, yeah, and I mean, just like this, like you know, all he's just like into like adventuring and fucking all the time. And he said, you know, he says this thing all the time, how like he fulfills this role for women of this kind of like masculine, powerful guy, and these women, you know, they're with him and they want him to to rape them. And and some of we like a few of us looked at each other. We're like, no, that's not the guy. Like women just want to be raped, <laughs> right? And I think it's because it's Ben. Like and- you're just the flavor of the week, dude. Like, yeah, it's not it's you. Not it's them. You. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying is like I think that we've experienced this through history you know, forever. And, and not that women didn't have other opportunities, but this was a very real, you know, if a woman wasn't protected and was found out alone in public, it was like fair game, you know? So I think that it's something that's kind of built into us. And now that it's been completely gone, it's coming back in these fantasies and, you know, BDSM and all this stuff that, that there's a real deep rooted history of that kind of sex for women and, and that we want to experience it now in this safe way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I have like a very kind of taboo understanding of this in one sense where I see women's sexuality and women in general as exceptionally powerful and in many ways more so than men. Like we are And the that's creed- why we've been marginalized for exactly. so long and 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 controlled because we were a unknown and we were right. too powerful. And I've also seen ways in my own personal life and in a, in the lives of a lot of my friends female friends or people who identify as female, like that it can be dangerous, right? Like I've done a lot of shitty things because my sexuality was my power. Mm -hmm. And so where, when I felt disempowered, that was like the one last remaining thing that I could be like, Oh yeah. Like, well, I'm going to go fuck someone else. Right. Or like, I'm going to behave in this activity. Like there's a unsatiable quality, at least for me. For me too. Where I have recognized that I've abused that power and used it for in a harmful way. Mm-hmm. And so I almost wonder if like back in the day that was it that existed and men didn't really know what to do with that. So they overreacted to the point of like, I'm going to control you in a way that's negative and right. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I mean, all of this Judeo-Christian, like yeah. familial structure, all of this you know, imposing modesty on women mm-hmm. and chastity on women yeah. as some sort of a, um, uh, like that I'm, I'm losing the word, but you know, chastity as some sort of a shame, you know, if you're, you're unchaste is shame. So like using shame to control women's sexuality in right. order to mute it and to order to dull it is 100% a product of this. Right. And so I think now that still exists. And what I hope happens is that women can recognize that there's some sort of inherent, like I I posted a a poll on my Instagram stories a while back and I asked people if they could, uh, or like one of those questions, like, can you tell me what you think are healthy masculine qualities when embodied by a man. So I'm not looking for like, you think leadership is healthy in women, but like not healthy in men. The one thing that people submitted the most was uh, protectiveness. And I thought that was fascinating. And so I wondered if like, do you know the myth of Lilith? Have you ever heard about this? Carry on. Okay. So uh, it's a Jewish, old Jewish myth that Mm -hmm. before uh, Eve, God created um, Adam and Lilith. 
and that they were both created from the earth where Eve was created from the Adam's rib. rib right? Yeah. So they're already right. Adam and Eve, there's this inherent power imbalance because she was created from him. Right. Lilith was, came before and they were both created from the earth and they went to have sex. And the story goes that she wanted to be on top and he was like uh-uh I'm the one in power like get on your back <laughs> like I'm gonna fuck you and she refused and she said no I'm not gonna do that like we're equal I can fuck you in whatever I way you know I want to fuck you and he was like no blah 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 and she left so first male female power struggle exactly she abandoned him she like left the fucking garden of eden and then apparently it's like she mated with all these demons and spawned all these demon babies and the angels. Adam actually was like, wait, I changed my mind. I'm really lonely. Can you get her back? Like maybe we can work something out. Yeah. She's like, fuck you, not coming back. Um, and she became this like really demonized female like villain. Well, both her and Eve, but yes. anyways. Yeah. And so I look at that. And then what was interesting was that then Lilith was adopted later uh, uh, during like second wave feminism as like, no, she wasn't negative. She was this power, powerful, feminine um, creature, and it's all about female empowerment, feminism, in a way that I don't totally relate to. And, like, where I go, where people just look at me like I'm fucking crazy, I think it was, like, not that she needed to overpower Adam, that that was the answer. I actually think that Adam needed to be strong enough in his own masculinity to be, like, I see you as a sexual being and that's okay. And like, I honor that and let me help you express that in a really positive way. <laughs> so like, I've got this fantasy of the, of the world and this whole feminine feminism, me too thing of like, can we be open and nuanced and confident, especially women? Can women go through the process of really embodying themselves to where they can see men's protectiveness as something that is valuable to them in the realm of sexuality. Um, and that that doesn't have mm. to be, <laughs> you, you know, uh, yeah. And I think it's that duality, right? Like we don't want someone who is only feminine or who is, we don't want a man who's only masculine yeah. and we don't want sex. That's only violent and right. subjugating totally but we don't want sex that's only like roses and you know and 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 snuggles you know like so we want to live in the extremes of both and honor the middle and I think that 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 is like 100% the challenge right the beauty of the rainbow the whole rainbow it's like not that one end or the other end is like where anyone could be mm -hmm. where, where anyone needs to be it's like the struggle between right yeah yeah, and I think there's this other, uh, this guy, Robert A. Johnson, he wrote these books called He and She, and he looks at gender through the lens of mythology. And, and one thing that he said that really resonated with me is that part of our problem right now is that women are projecting their uh, masculine onto men and that men are projecting their feminine onto women. So like women are witches, men are these evil uh, warlords. But again, going back to like, if we can embody both within ourselves, both men and women, right? If men, if a man can be feminine and fully embodied in that femininity and be totally comfortable with that, that I don't think the masculine, let me take control, uh, let me be in power 
manifests in a negative way. Whereas if that man isn't embodied in his feminine and it's just this like overflowing of masculine, uh, power that, you know, um, that, that, that's where we get into trouble. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? (laughs) Um, what do you think about this whole like toxic masculinity thing that's been floating around along with all this other really interesting conversations that are going on right now? I feel like this has become your podcast. (laughs) I want to like, what do you think about toxic masculinity? (laughs) It's good. It's good. I'll be your dress rehearsal. No, let's, let's get your opinion. Obviously you're opinionated on these things. It's not just about my opinion, but it was funny. Um, See, I'll be good at it. You will. You will. (laughs) Now we've proved it. I'm glad glad I could be the guinea pig. (laughs) There we go. We have a guest host this week. There we go. (laughs) I mean, look, toxic masculinity is definitely a thing. Um, however, I think so much of it has to do with context and intention. So, you know, I think men can want to explore masculinity in a way or, you know, dominance in a way that is coming from a place of hatred and fear and is completely unhealthy and destructive. But then I also think that, um, men can want to explore, you know, traditionally masculine roles in a way that's completely healthy and supportive and even loving. Right, right. A hundred percent. Yeah. What do you think? Ooh. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think it's, a, it's, an, it's another interesting conversation um, that's happening right now. Like, you know, like the, the, the barbecue and beers and, yeah. you know, bro football culture, man cave, you know, all that stuff has been very revered. And, and, and accepted and, you know, locker room talk and all that stuff. Um, and I think that calling it into question as something that could be toxic or negative is really interesting, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that like they shouldn't be able to barbecue steaks and watch football together and have that male bonding moment. Like, you know, so I, I think it's, I think, I think it's interesting. Also, I, do you know the new Nike commercial? Um, that came out for women recently. It just came out. It's oh, it's like for as for a female athlete. I mean, it is. It hits the nail on the head. And I've actually gotten in some. I usually don't engage um, with like trollers on social media, but I got into this debate with this guy uh, over. I posted it, and he was like complaining. Um, but it's it's very much the opposite. It's basically about. Okay, is there a toxic femininity? I was just gonna say, you know, <laughs> yeah. that like, but it's about sports and it's saying, like, you know, if we if we get emotional, you know, we're called hysterical and it, you know, we're called crazy, we're this, we're that. And it shows all these like extremely emotional moments of female athletes, you know, losing or winning or whatever. And then it's like, you know, talks about, you know, women coming back. Um, you know, saying like, oh, you know, I won 23, Serena Williams, I won 23 Grand Slams and then went and had a baby and now I'm coming back like in my late 30s to like do it again and people are calling me crazy and it's just this building of energy and victory and it's, it's, it's amazing. It's so powerful and so moving as a woman and as an athlete to honor the feminine um, in our feminine masculine, you know, and saying like, yeah, we're going to be emotional. We're going to cry, but that doesn't make us less of an athlete. You know, we're going to be mothers, but that doesn't make us less of an athlete. And that doesn't make us less valuable. Um, and we don't have to like strip away our feminine qualities to be physically powerful. 
And I think there's just a really interesting conversation. And I think that, you know, a man, toxic, toxic masculinity, like if he thinks that that's the only way to live and he's not open to the softer side of things and he's not expressive, like I think male emotion is a beautiful thing and it's something that's becoming acceptable for the first time ever. And I think that it's a scary thing for men because they have so much emotion that has been welled up, that's been closed for so long yeah. um, that it's like a floodgate is opening if they even are allowed to express a little bit of it. And I think that we need to be very gentle and very kind with men in this moment where they're being asked to express their emotions for the first time. Yeah. Um, so I think there's so much interesting stuff at play. And that's why I think that you know, right now is a time to like step in and we need people like talking about this kind of stuff and, and being role models and being leaders like in this totally new space and new conversation that's giving women permission to be strong and men permission to be soft. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I could probably go on and on. Okay. But we should wait and maybe we'll do another one when you have your, okay, your podcast. Yeah. I'd love that. A part two. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned how you read a lot of books. So one yes. of the things that I do on my podcast is I ask all my guests, if you could recommend one book to everyone, book. what would that be? Oh, okay. So I read a lot of books and, um, I am a big into like historical fiction or his history of any kind. I'm a big history buff and I love to read stuff from all different times. Um, and I like to recommend this book because it is fiction, especially for lots of people who are like nonfiction, yeah. you know, <laughs> hardcore people. And this uh, book, it's, it's a bit obscure, and it's called The Isle Beneath the Sea or Island Beneath the Sea. It's by Isabella Allende. Um, it goes through multiple revolutions. It's a woman's journey, um, and she goes through... Uh, so many different lives and so many different re revolutions and I'll just put it that way. And it taught me so many different things about so many different times and places. Beautiful, beautiful book. And it's more obscure. It's not something that anyone has right. heard of. Um, I have lots of other stuff. That's my favorite. I mean, I'm a, for better or worse, I'm a huge Ayn Rand fan. Um, you know, Atlas Shrugged was like my Bible as a teenager, which is like yeah. a weird thing. And, um, I love, uh, I love stories that teach you, something and I've read everything of Isabel Allende because I love this book so much but it just teaches you about so many different times and so many different places and the human struggle and I love books with strong female leads as well yeah. um but right now I'm actually reading tons of nonfiction. I'm not really reading a lot of fiction right now but if if someone wants to delve into some interesting fiction that you will learn so much from, like I love learning about a time, a place, and a culture, and I can talk to almost anyone around the world about anything because I've read a book about, like I've read a book about India in the set in the 1970s, and I've read tons of Victorian novels, and I've read tons of stuff about, you know, Asia, Japan, um, you know, Russia, and I like, you know, I recently read, uh, reread Anna Karenina, just mm. like finished that. A a couple weeks ago and so I love to like transport through time and space um from a book yeah I think like I, I'm obsessed with mythology this is like this mm. whole thing I love I think we like these collective archetypes we learn so much through story yes. and I'm also I'm really into nonfiction. I always had trouble with fiction but where I feel that that's so valuable is that like we see our lives and understand ourselves through 
story. A hundred percent. You, how you relate it to yourself, how you understand your life better and how you can learn from the characters and their struggle. And I also love these human stories that take place in a time and place that I'm learning about the culture. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm learning Mm -hmm. like what it was like to live on a ship in the 1500s. Like I love reading like, you know, you know, Renaissance era, golden age. Like I read this whole series, um, about, you know, uh, I, f- I went to Bruges in Brussels and fell in love with that town and wanted to learn more about it. So I started reading books about, you know, the golden age there, which was pre-Renaissance, where it was the center of trade. And um, I read this whole series of this character, uh, Niccolo, Niccolo Rising, I think is the first one. And he goes all over, uh, you know, 1500s Europe and the different, you know, s- towns and the different languages and Mm. the way they communicated and how they conducted business and it's just like so incredibly fascinating and then I read 13 books all about you know the antebellum self the civil war and the reconstruction and I completely understand racism in our country in a whole new way yeah that I would have never known and each book is one year Mm. of the of the thing so it's like very detailed of the the progression and so I love to learn through this context. And so I only read books that I learn from. Um, And even if they are stories, you know, and I don't even like, I think fiction, it's kind of like a, it's a dirty word in a way. So I just, I call them stories because I, if they're true stories, I mean, I've read Ben Franklin's biography and, you know, about the Wright brothers. I love to read good biographies too, because those are stories as well, but. Right. And even if the actual story in and of itself didn't happen, I would wager that that exact same story played out in a myriad of different ways in hundred <laughs> percent cultures just, and time it's and the same thing but it's it's taking place in in a foreign time and place that teaches you right. about life and teaches you about history and totally. teaches you about a culture and de- human development and what's you know and also like the misconceptions that like you know life was different then because it was more um you know because there was more uh like social, you know, restrictions or, you know, less technology, but like mm-hmm. people were fucking the same way and right. cheating on their spouses yeah, and, yeah. you know, having all the same struggles just through time and space. And it yeah. just had a different book cover. And I, I love that. Yeah. And I think it's like why it's so important because I think if we're all trying to figure out what is instinctual and what is authentic in any of these spaces, but especially like gender and sexuality, which is so culturally charged to like see how these things played out in different cultures and different times can help us feel less crazy that like we have rape fantasies. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yes. And, and I love, um, you know, I love especially like I, it's totally secret, dirty secret. I've read a bunch of Victorian romance novels, which are so juxtaposition paradoxical yeah. because it's this like super demure society where everything was decorum and, um, and, and social structure and, um, you know, woman's, uh, chastity and modesty and being demure were the only value. And if you mm-hmm. were compromised, you were, you know, completely worthless and like the rest of your life was ruined. Um, and all the rampant sex and, 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 and cheating. And the funny thing was you just had to be like a virgin and super demure until you were married. And then once you were married, your husband may run off and never have sex with you again. And then you could fuck whoever you wanted, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's just this, like, all of that was the cover and what was going on under the sheets was exactly the same yeah. as now. And I find yeah. that like 
so the juxtaposition so fascinating yeah, totally where can people find you where can people find me um you can find me on social reading media a book. reading a book <laughs> yeah you can find me on social media um i'm on instagram leanne on the rise um you can check out my business in hollywood uh pole dancing studio bspun.com my event website of the show that I produce, risethenight.com. And I'm actually in the process of making my own website that's just about me, which is really funny. I never did it when I was just in pole dancing because I felt like it was redundant, like mm. my business is about me. And um, now I am building a website that's about all my new female empowerment stuff. It's going to talk about the different, all my businesses, you know, some more personal stuff about me. So I'm not even sure the URL, but you can put it in the... <laughs> in the opener when, when cool. you start yeah. and, um, and yeah, I'm going to have a podcast in the near future. So follow me on Instagram and all the things get funneled through there. Amazing. Well, thank you again for this double header. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Anytime. Hello again. Thanks for listening to that episode. Um, I think Leanne is great. I am looking forward to getting to know her more. I actually just hung out with her again last night um, after we recorded this podcast episode a week or so ago, I think. Um, so grateful to be able to connect with and meet such awesome people through this podcast and be able to share them with you guys and create these kind of like interwoven networks of cool people uh, all around the country and the world. Um, and I hope so much that as this podcast continues and um, as I talk to more people and more people listen, that there are going to be lots of amazing ways to have us all connect and meet each other. I definitely think Patreon is one of the ways to do that, um, as I mentioned in the intro. So if you guys want to support the show and be within a community and space with other people that listen to the podcast, you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Anya Cates, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. Um, but aside from that, just in terms of traveling and creating some of the things I want to create in the world, I'm very much looking forward to expanding uh, this community and, um, connecting more of you to each other. So I'm looking forward to the future in that sense. Um, today I am going to play you out with a song by John Mayer that was actually released within, um, this group that he put together called the John Mayer trio. So him and Steve Jordan and Pino Palladino released, um, a bunch of original songs, but also, played a bunch of like standard John Mayer songs in this kind of like bluesy rock kind of a way. Um, I believe they have one album that they released under the trio called Try. Uh, and actually, I don't know if this song is on it, um, but it is one that they all wrote together and that was played live and recorded. It's called Come When I Call. Um, and I think it's one of my favorites from this little group that they put together. I, uh, I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the podcast before. I feel like I might have, but I've, I'm, I've been super, uh, into John Mayer for a really long time. Um, I'll have to talk about that at some point. I was, um, super affected, uh, and in, kind of inspired <laughs> this weird way when that whole thing went down with him talking about Jessica Simpson as sexual napalm. Um, I, uh, had and felt a lot of opinions. I actually think that are mirrored in this conversation that we're having and in response to the response he got for saying that stuff publicly and really felt like my opinions about it sat outside of the, um, conventional thought about it and was sort of disappointed by how his career was like 
I guess his career wasn't ruined, but uh, severely affected by those comments and just thought the reaction to it was um, overly simplistic and lacking in, surprise, surprise, nuance and paradox. Um, Anyway, I like this song a lot and uh, the kind of inherent sexual innuendo of a lot of the lyrics. Um, So uh, yeah, that's why I chose to uh, play it at the end of this episode. Um, And that's it. I'm going to let you listen to music and uh, have a lot of really exciting conversations to share with you in the coming weeks. So talk soon. Why won't you come? 